The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. For the past several weeks, I've been carrying around one, just one single AA battery in my bag. Oh, and not just any AA battery, a dead AA battery. And you might ask, hmm, Pastor Josh, why are you carrying around one single dead AA battery in your bag? I will tell you why. It is because I am stubborn. And I refuse to throw something away that could be so easily recycled. Of course, the irony of that is that it really can't be because I've been carrying it around for four weeks. However, but it's just one battery, right? And I could just as easily throw it away. But with that thinking, in my mind, just one battery here and there quickly adds up and becomes 10, 20, 100 batteries, and then suddenly you have a landfill. And I don't say all this to guilt all of us into becoming recycling superstars and even better stewards of the environment, though if that does happen, happy accident. Uh, but it strikes me as a prime example of the power of one. Recycling one battery on its own doesn't seem to do much, but recycle many just one batteries, and you can make an impact over time. One drop of water doesn't feel like much either until you're caught in a downpour. And one small candle doesn't really light up an entire room until you add it with many candles. I'm thinking of Christmas Eve over at the Cross of Life campus, uh, or we, we did that here too, when all of the candles light up the room together. But you get the point, right? There is power in even just one healed leper who returns in our gospel reading today. But not because he gives praise and thanks to God, although that's important, or for anything he does, really, but for who he is. Now, it's easy for us in this story to wonder about those other nine lepers who were healed. Why didn't they return? Were they not grateful for what Jesus had done for them? Now, we don't really know what's going on in their minds. We don't get any more details about them in Luke's gospel. But I would venture to say that, of course, 
they were grateful. Cured of a disease that was not only painful and life-threatening, but ostracizing as well. Those who had been unclean were made clean. Those who had been cut off from their communities for fear of being contagious or contaminating had been restored. And so, of course, they were grateful, so grateful, in fact, that I like to imagine the story continuing as those nine run back to their families and friends and loved ones to be reunited, to catch up on everything they had missed, to be a part of each other's lives again. But enough about them. I want to focus on this one leper who did return, because this one, Luke tells us, is almost a very matter-of-fact detail. This one was a Samaritan. Now, that might not seem like much to us. What is that? Uh, But Luke mentions Samaritans and their home region of Samaria more than any other gospel writer. Now, to say that Jews and Samaritans in Jesus' context had a rocky relationship is to put it gently. In Jesus' day, that animosity dated back hundreds of years, and it was rooted in the time when uh, the northern, it's a little history lesson here, the northern tribes of the kingdom of Israel, including the region of Samaria, broke off from the rest of the kingdom and started their own rival monarchy. And then that rival monarchy would soon be conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and with the coming of a foreign empire and the coming of foreigners in their midst also came intermarriage. Again, not a big deal really in our context, but for Jewish purity laws, it was a huge deal. And from the perspective of those who didn't break away, those who were living in Samaria had already compromised their already alienated Jewish identity. Never mind that they were faithful, observant Jews themselves, just in different ways. But by Jesus' day, this long-rooted animosity and hostility had become so entrenched that those traveling to Galilee, which there was a map up here, Galilee is on the north side of Samaria, they were traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem on the south side of Samaria, they would go all the way around, adding miles and hours to their trip just to avoid that region. So Samaritans were not just outsiders. They were considered enemies to be avoided at all costs. Now, what does it mean that this enemy outsider, this Samaritan, is the only one who comes back? With Jesus, we might find ourselves asking, were not ten made clean? Where are the other nine? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Now, already in Luke's gospel, we've heard the parable of the good Samaritan. We know that story pretty well. When his fellow traveler has been beaten and robbed and left for dead, it's explicitly a Samaritan who extends love and care and hospitality to his neighbor without any regard for their identity as a foreigner or a supposed enemy. And now in today's story, 
a Samaritan becomes the recipient of that same kind of indiscriminate love as Jesus heals him without regard for his ethnic identity. So this isn't a moralistic lesson about gratitude, although gratitude is important. It's not even a story about the one healed leper who returns to give thanks and praise and to shame the other nine who don't. This is a story about what God has done for someone who was treated like an enemy outsider by his own people. This is a story about God's indiscriminate love and radical inclusion that comes to us where we least expect it. The power of just one Samaritan who returns shows us what God's love looks like. God's love is all-inclusive and wildly expansive. God's love extends as far as we would expect and then a step further. God's love goes through the region of Samaria, not avoiding it. The power of just one Samaritan who returns reminds us that if God's love is even for that outsider, then God's love is even for us, for each and every one of us, for those of us who doubt and question God's presence in our lives when hard times come, for those of us who feel pushed aside or have been pushed aside by others, and even for those of us who sometimes do the pushing aside. Now, last Sunday when I was on vacation in Atlanta, I had the opportunity to visit the Martin Luther King Jr. National Historic Site. Has anyone been there? I had like one person in the other, uh, the other service who had been there. It's a wonderful place. If you're ever in Atlanta, it's completely free and open to the public. Uh, but it's just this stretch of multiple city blocks, almost in the heart of downtown Atlanta, and it includes uh, the home where King was born and grew up until the age of 12, that's still standing, uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church, where King's father was the senior pastor and where King himself would later serve for a while, and then the tomb of King and his wife in the middle of this giant reflecting pool. I remarked to my friend that I was traveling with that this really feels like holy ground. There's no other word for it. It was inspiring to be surrounded and reminded of so much history and that civil rights movement that King and others worked so tirelessly for attests to the power of one, right? One woman who refused to give up her bus seat, one preacher who refused to stop preaching love. Every one act of resistance in the sit-ins and the boycotts to protest racial segregation. One plus one plus one plus one, and suddenly you have a whole powerful movement. And that power of one is the foundation of who we are as a church, as the people of God who are called to love our world and all who are in it. We know that we can't do this work alone. It's hard. It feels insurmountable. But our own voices and hands are needed too. 
I need you just as much as you need me and each other. It's a beautiful relationship of mutuality. But at the end of the day, it's not even all about us either, thank God. Just like this isn't a story about the Samaritan who comes back to give thanks and praise to God, this is a story about what God has done for us. This is a story about God who heals one Samaritan, who searches the entire house to find that one lost coin, who runs to the very edges of the wilderness to rescue that one lost sheep, who rejoices at the return of one lost son who comes back home. This is a story about the power of one that attests to the love of the one who loves us first and always. This is a story about who gets to be included in the kingdom of God. Spoiler alert, everyone. This is a story about the kind of deep, deep gratitude that comes when we know and experience what it means to belong and to be loved for who we are. One of my favorite poems from the late poet Mary Oliver has this line about being married to amazement. And I love that line. And I think it fits today, too, this idea of amazement, standing in amazement at what God has done for us and continues to do every time we are gathered in this space, invited to this table around bread and wine in the power of this one meal, this one gathered assembly, in the singular love of God who revives and sustains us again and again.